What do we know about her really? I mean, we have all that moving around, but what do we really know about her? She was rich. She sauntered off to Rome. It was much more interesting than Spain. She took her two youngest ones and left the son and heir behind. But there was a new religious movement after Constantine made Christianity the state religion. We can speculate why that movement was so centered on self-sacrifice and asceticism. I will suggest that now that the um, terrible days of persecution were over, well, we know in history they weren't, but they were for a while, people no longer could really seek martyrdom in the crown and they were looking for something new. And the something new was asceticism in the desert. Her two little boys with her died, probably malaria. Um, plagues came through Rome all the time. It was a lot of wetland, a lot of mosquitoes. But whatever they died of, she was still alone. And she set herself off again to Alexandria, which was the center of this new movement. When we picture the desert Abbas and Amas, we picture some rail thin people sitting in little caves dug out of the sand, praying day and night. Well, that isn't quite what was happening in Alexandria. Tens of thousands of people poured in. This was as big a movement as the Crystal Palace and some of the evangelical movements that we're seeing today. Some of those people did go out to the desert. There's no question about it. We know that. There are still uh, monasteries with monks living in little caves in the Holy Land and in Greece. But by and large, everybody was going out to find God in a new way, and it was exciting. But when you get a lot of people in one place, trying to pray by themselves without any catechesis or instruction, and they get lonely and they hang out together to support each other, just like little parishes. The other thing that happens is that you get merchants because they need things. And then the merchants settle down and they open shops. And then the next thing you know, you have little townships popping up all over the place. This is what the desert Abbas and Amas really looked like. And they did gather in communities, and this was the beginning of the monasticism in Christianity that we know. Now, some rules of life had already been started, the Essenes even before Jesus was incarnate, but also there was Pacomius and even Augustine of Hippo wrote a little one, and then there was the great one that was written by uh, St. Benedict and still in use today. So these people had a way of organizing themselves, little by little. So was Melania a desert mother? She tried, just did, she went out of the desert. She lasted six months. I told you I would tell you something about her and that group of monks, it's a wonderful story. She decided that she wanted to go and hang out with a group of monks and the, they were the choice. They were the, the ones that were most famous and 
howling and she put herself in rags, pretended she was a slave and she stuck into their mouths. Listen to them preach and pray. Well, she got busted and arrested for vagrancy and indecent behavior. Well, she wasn't gonna go the route of St. Paul and sit in, in chains. She pulled herself up, announced who she was, dropped some names and probably some coin, and was released with great apologies. We can put down privilege, but if you're in jail and you've got it, you use it. So that was her experience as being a desert mother. What she was, was a learned woman. And she loved theology. She loved philosophy. She learned everything she could. And here I have to go back to a little note that was in that reading. It's a story about another person, about Origen. Origen lived and died about a century before she did. His father was a Christian martyr. He wanted to be one too. His mother grabbed him by the scruff of his tunic and dragged him back. He was a scholar, uh, probably a priest. There's some question about who ordained him, but let's, call, let's count him as a priest. They say that when he preached, it was like listening to the angels. His volumes and volumes on the scripture. He invented the Trinity. He was the first one to say the Spirit is not just the breath of God in the Old Testament, but a person. And the way he saw it, and there's nothing in scripture to deny this, Father, Son, Son subordinate to the Father, as the Son should be, and from the Son, the Spirit, because it says so, I will send you the Spirit. And he made the little triangle, and this is very apt, the Sunday is Trinity Sunday. And that was the first glimmer of a theology of the Trinity. It isn't what we use, but it was a good start. Right? It's 100 years earlier. Well, let's go forward to Melania's time. Melania was fascinated with origin, so was everybody. The, the uh, Cappadocian fathers revered him. I mean, there was no end to the people who thought he was just the great, and he was, the greatest doctor of the church who ever lived. But somewhere along the line, a monk, and we know his name, got all excited and a little bit fundamentalist, and he wanted to purify this new ascetic understanding of God, this search for the face of God. And he went on a heresy hunt. And he went to important people, and we know who they were. I mean, ultimately it was bishops and kings and even a, a, an emperor later on. And they saw a power vacuum, and they jumped right in, because that's the way it works. And the target was Origen. Ultimately, he was declared a heretic. And his works were burned. We have a few of them, and the ones we have are wonderful. And I don't know what we could have lost. Origen earned his martyr's crown in Melania's day.
But Melania was, he was still very popular. Melania loved his works, which were still around. And so she was an origin, pro-origin supporter. She thought this was wonderful. Well, Saint Jerome, who did live in a cave and was a great translator, we owe the Vulgate um, translation of scripture to him, which we still use, or the Romans do anyhow. And she, he thought Melania was a, was a great theologian that he lavished praise on her until polarization happened. Now, does this not sound familiar? We're living with this right now. There were the pro-origin and the anti-origin, and obviously whoever you were on the other side was evil, and you could blame everything from a bad day to a plague on them. So Jerome turned around, and instead of praising her again, he took her name, Melania, it means dark, it's like melanin in your skin when you get sunburned, or our, our uh, uh, black brothers and sisters, they have melanin in their, in their cells. And he did a schoolboy thing. Melania, you are dark. And he destroyed her reputation. Well, Melania had a lot of supporters. She was supporting a lot of people. She built a lot of monasteries. She survived this. There are other times when she didn't. But she survived this and she settled back down to a group of friends and, and, and religious and she prayed and she gave money and she helped people. Um, we don't, we have some sayings of hers and they're lovely. We don't have much other theology from her, but there must have been some. And of course, the Christology since Nicaea has established the Trinity in a new way. But instead of saying, Origen had a really good idea, it was a good start, let's just update it. They said, oh, evil, evil, evil. We have to watch out for this. We're living in an era of this now. We really must watch out for this. Banning assault weapons is not taking away a BB gun from a 14-year-old, 12-year-old kid on the farm. Giving a woman a, 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 an abortion who would die or whose baby was so malformed it wouldn't live or who had been brutally raped is not the same thing as opening the doors. And we're doing the same thing now. We're doing it at the church. We're doing it with this, an issue called open table, which I won't go into now. But these things come up and people take sides and whoever you are, the other side is evil. And this is what happened. They threw her under the bus, but she survived. So the question is, what has this got to do with us? I think what this has to do with us is that in a time of great stress in the church, people gathered together in religious, deep religious groups. It happened before, it happened before the Reformation with the brothers and sisters of the common life. It happened since the, Re in the Reformation. Um, uh, the Wesleyans were influenced by people like this that gathered together outside of the Sunday services and prayed. And I think it may be happening now as we look at the church and say, oh, our hair's on fire, we're going to die, our numbers are down. 
and we don't know who we are. Maybe if we change all the rules, people will come flocking through the doors. So I'm going to make a proposal. I'm going to suggest that every parish, every family, let's start with Church of Our Savior, is the same kind of group as those that gathered around a teacher around Alexandria, out on the desert, or maybe in a suburban house, or in the temple or church. There's no need to do it in our living room. We have a beautiful sanctuary here that is embedded with the prayers of a hundred more years. Maybe we can be the next group of Abbas and Amas. Maybe we need to do what they did and what Melania showed us is that by opening our hearts to the love of Christ, and if we're well healed, we put money in the church, of course we do. And if we're poor, we do what we can in other ways. We make sandwiches. We smile at people on the street. We come up as lectors. We have things that we do here that could make us the Amas and Abbas of the parish of Church of Our Savior, under our leaders and teachers, Brother Richard Edward, Father Jerry, me, all of us. We could do what they did, and we could keep the church alive, never mind the numbers, never mind the squabbles. God loves us for who we are. This is an ember day, and that means all the people who are going into or, or testing orders, and I will include those in, who are testing religious orders too. We call them laity, but we set ourselves to, in many ways, the same standard that a priest or a deacon or a bishop would, that we give our lives, our lives, not only in the baptismal covenant, but in everything that we do, as we all should. And that's what I'm asking for, really, to Christ Jesus. So let me close by reading a prayer that we can hear and pray together. And this is the prayer for the Ember Day. And this is the prayer for monastics. Where's the prayer for Ember Day? I marked it. Here we go. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of your holy church, that in their vocation and ministry they may truly and devoutly serve you through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. And I offer this humbly in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>